Hi everyone, this is Logan Brasher. I'm the pastor of music and creative arts at First Baptist Gray, as well as the producer of the weekly podcast. On July the 26th of 2020, we celebrated Missions Sunday at First Baptist Church of Gray and welcomed Jeff Gongwer from the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. It was a great time of refocusing our minds and hearts toward radical evangelism right here in our area, as well as across the country and around the world. Jeff preached from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, and did a great job motivating us to carry the gospel to all creatures of the world. Let's hear from Jeff now. Um, but we came back when Austin's first day was, and it was a great day, as y'all were welcoming him on. I want to thank uh, you for being so gracious that day, and, and Randy, he is... Uh, probably watching, and so I want to thank Randy for allowing me to come and preach. I work for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and Thomas Hammond is our executive director, and if he were here, and I'm here on his behalf, he would thank you for your cooperation in the cooperative uh, program. You know, the cooperative program, we have 3,600 fully funded missionaries all over the world. Many of them are in the 1040 window, which makes up much of the Islamic world and uh, places where the gospel is rare or unheard of. And there are people risking their lives today because you have funded them, you're praying for them. Uh, we also plant churches all over North America, and the George Baptist Mission Board is very intentional about reaching back into churches to help churches. Uh, to not only to grow, but to be missional in their perspective. And so I want to thank you uh, for being a part of that. And I'm looking forward to what God's going to do today. We're going to talk about the Great Commission. If you will, would you turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, verses 16 uh, through verse 20. And as you're turning there, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. And let's pray that God would just walk with us as we... Follow and see what Jesus calls us to do through the Great Commission. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for loving us and walking with us uh, through all of the different challenges that we have, especially in this season in life where there's the, the COVID virus and also so much tension and political things going on in our culture. It's so easy to get our eyes off of what you've told us is most important. It's easy to get focused on just our families and just our church and just our businesses. It's easy to get so focused on ourselves because we feel like we're in survival mode. Help us to understand that there is a lost and dying world that desperately needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that in the end, when we stand before you, and when the church is gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ, and there are people from every tribe, language, people, and nation, Lord, we would be counted as those who populated heaven with those who received Christ through mission endeavor. And so, Lord, I pray for First Baptist Gray, for the staff, for the, for the church here. Lord, we are so grateful for the, good, the, the goodness that you've poured on our lives. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for Jesus. We ask in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would come, speak to our hearts, draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I really enjoyed, Logan, I really enjoyed the worship this morning. Thank you for the, for the band and, and just worshiping here today. I want to tell you, during this COVID virus, I've been able to preach to, to windshields uh, in a drive-in service, to preach to cameras, and to preach in live, uh, live churches where people are gathered. And I know many people are gathered at home, and it's so good to have an opportunity uh, to speak to those who are at home as well as uh, to those who are here today. 
In the 1940s, shipbuilders were commissioned to build a brand new ship named the USS United States. In that day, it cost $80 million, which was a ton of money in that day. It was going to be the largest ship in American history and the fastest ship in the world. It was finally completed in 1952. The goal for this ship was to carry troops into battle. It could carry up to 10,000 troops into battle during the time of war. And so they kind of took it out for a spin and did a transatlantic journey, and they, they set every speed record, and those speed records still stand today. But what happened to the USS United States? Well, instead of a military vessel, it became a cruise ship. It became a luxury liner because it wasn't in the really the time of war where they needed a vessel that large. It was sold and it was created to be a cruise vessel for wealthy patrons to be taken from one side of the Atlantic to the other. Its last cruise was in 1969, and in 1996, it was, it was placed in Pier 28 in the Delaware River in Philadelphia. It became a popular tourist attraction, but over the years, it has gradually decayed to the point that it is now useless, never fulfilling the purpose that God had for it. When we hear the Great Commission, and I want to read that in just a minute, I want you to understand that God has commissioned the church not to be a tourist attraction, not to be a luxury cruise liner. God has called the church to go into battle. God has called the church to, to have spiritual conquest. When we hear the Great Commission, we don't need to hear a great suggestion. We need to hear that Jesus has called every Christian, every church to be on mission for Jesus. Would you stand with me and let's read Matthew, if you're able, Matthew 28, verses 16 through verse 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you'll be seated. Our commander-in-chief has called the church, again, not to be a tourist attraction, not to be a cruise liner, but to enter into spiritual warfare and to do missions. Sherry and I went to Mid-America Seminary. During that time, we made friends with three different couples. And every one of those couples ended up going into Islamic nations to be missionaries for the International Mission Board. There were times where Sherry and I would pray and ask God, God, do you want us to go into missions? Just recently, in February, I went to the IMB Mission College, and there in that place where thousands of missionaries had been trained, I, I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, if you want me to go on the mission field, I'll go on the mission field. And, and I felt the warmth of God's approval of my prayer, but God did not call me to do that. 
God has always called me to be a pastor who has supported missions, and I've been on many, many mission trips, and God has seen many, many things happen in and through uh, those trips and, and through the churches that I was able to serve, and I have felt privileged and blessed to be a small part of God's mission endeavor in the world. And my role is to help churches engage in mission, to raise their level of engagement through consultation and to help them engage in certain mission endeavors. And I've been meeting with Randy and Austin, and, and, and God, I believe, is going to put together a tremendous plan for this church to become even more missional than it already is. I want to tell you, this church is very involved in its community, and I, I want to tell you, there is, there is much that God wants this church to do. And I think Satan wants to paralyze us with fear so that we don't see that we can be on mission with Jesus even in the midst of the pandemic. You know what disappoints me? I go online, I see Facebook posts by people who are Christians creating controversy instead of sharing the gospel. Would you use your social media to share the gospel, to be missional even from your breakfast table? That's just an aside. Now let me tell you something about the Great Commission and the church today. A couple of years ago, George Barna did a Research on the church when it came to the Great Commission. Do you know that 50% of churchgoers have no idea what the Great Commission is? And of the other 50%, only 17% can define the Great Commission. I do not want you to be in that 50% that doesn't know what the Great Commission is. I want you to know the 17%. I want you to know what the Great Commission is, and I want you to understand it is what Jesus wants for the church today. Let me give you the definition of the Great Commission. It is this. Jesus is Jesus' command to every believer to make disciples locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally by sharing the gospel through going, baptizing, and teaching God's word. That's what we're called to do. Jesus' command to every believer to make disciples locally, regionally, nationally, internationally by sharing the gospel through going, baptizing, and teaching God's word. See, I believe that Jesus' last words must be our first priority. He mentions the Great Commission in all four Gospels and then in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and these are the last words that Jesus said to the church. He is our commander-in-chief and God has called us to be engaged in the Great Commission, not only as a church, but also as individual Christians. So I want to share with you from this passage three truths about the Great Commission that we all need to take to heart and allow God to shape us with. The first one is this, through the Great Commission... Jesus' authority is activated. I want you to look again at verses 16 through 18. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. We don't find that direction in the Gospels, but we know that Jesus somewhere in his resurrection appearances said, Listen, I want you to go to Galilee. Most of the disciples were from Galilee. And when we read about Galilee, understand that its nickname was Galilee of the Gentiles. Every other time Jesus speaks to the disciples about the Great Commission, it's just the 11. It's just the 11. It's, it's the already convinced. But here I believe what has happened is that Jesus is speaking to a much larger group than just the 11. 
We get some hints from that from the text and other places uh, in the Bible. I want to read a little bit further. It says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him and some doubted. By the way, worship always comes before doing missions. Amen. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 sometime and, and see, what, see what God did. He displayed his glory to Isaiah. And by the end of that conversation, what happens, that display of his glory, Isaiah is saying, here am I, send me. See, worship always comes before sending people on missions. If you have a great view of God, you'll have a great view of his mission. But it says that some doubt it. Some people say, well, the 11, there were some doubting among the 11. I doubt that they were doubting. You know why? Because they are, Thomas had already doubted that they were fully convinced that this was the resurrected Christ, that this was the Jesus who rose bodily from the grave. You say, who are the doubters here? It's the people in the crowd. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6, we are told that Jesus spoke and appeared to 500 people. And I believe during that time is right here. This is, these are the people in Galilee. And I believe it wasn't only Jews, it was Gentiles. And when he talks about the nations and that the gospel would go to the nations, I know their ears perked up. And I know their hearts warm because they saw that God is not only concerned about the Jews, he is also concerned about the Gentiles. By the way, most of you are Gentiles. I am. And if it wasn't for the heart of Jesus going into the world to share the gospel with the Gentiles, this church wouldn't exist and you wouldn't be saved, likely. So understand that God has a heart for the world. So Jesus goes to this high elevation. He speaks to this crowd. There are skeptics. There are worshipers. And he declares his authority. Notice what he says in verse 20. I mean, in verse 18. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's an interesting theological statement if you think about it. Was all authority already in the hands of Jesus because he was God the Son even before the incarnation? In some ways it was, in some ways it wasn't. There is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They are three persons. They are equal, but they are one God. And Jesus had submitted himself to the Father as he came and was incarnated. When he died on the cross, rose from the grave, he was about to ascend to heaven. God the Father gave him everything into his hand on heaven, in heaven and on earth. You remember what Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God. And there, I believe there's a future kingdom, but there is a kingdom that is now today that is upon the hearts of every believer and in every mission endeavor that goes across this world that preaches the gospel. The kingdom comes every time the church aligns itself in obedience to the authority of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn, you'll see it up on the screen, or you can turn there. It's Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 19 through 23. I want you to see what kind of authority Jesus has. Ephesians 1:19 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named not only in this age 
but also in the one to come. That covers everything. That when Jesus died and rose again, eventually would ascend to heaven, he would be given authority, dominion, and power, not only over human beings and creation and the universe, but also over spiritual beings like angels and demons. Everything has been placed under his feet. I want to read just a little bit further. He says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What that means is that there is a measure of spiritual authority that is delegated to the church. Whatever is bound in heaven is bound on earth. And we know that when we talk about the spiritual authority of Jesus, I believe it is intrinsically and primarily linked to the Great Commission. You know what that means? When a church does not fulfill the Great Commission, it is not exercising the spiritual authority of Jesus. So we talk about authority. Everybody wants authority. But you cannot be in authority unless you are under God's authority. And if you're not under God's authority, guess what? You may have a position of authority, but you really can't act in that supernatural authority that Jesus has. You know why miracles still happen? It's because the gospel is spread. And I believe they happen in mission context because God is establishing a new work as it expands across the world. And so God has given the church spiritual authority as it aligns itself with the Great Commission. And if it does not align itself with the Great Commission, it forfeits the authority that Jesus has given to it. When we privatize our faith and we don't share our faith, when we don't represent Jesus in our community and our world, then we are forfeiting the spiritual authority that we share through the Great Commission. Secondly, through the Great Commission, Jesus' authority is activated. And number two, Jesus' mandate is manifested. I want you to read with me verses 19 to the first part of verse 20 in Matthew 28. It says this, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so what he tells us is that we are to make disciples. Now, when you look at that structure, if you're an English teacher, you can follow along with me. I remember this from from English, I think it was 11th or 12th grade, and we did some of this in Greek and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to understand what's going on here. Make disciples is in the imperative, which means it's a command. And the word go, baptize, and teach are participles, which means that they modify that command. In other words, Jesus calls us primarily to make disciples, and we do that by going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, what does it mean to make disciples? It's important for us to know what it means to make disciples. It means that, that we intentionally teach and model God's Word to those who are lost and more spiritually immature than we are. The last church I served, my wife and I were involved in discipling men and women. And what was amazing about that is that those classes which we did on Wednesday night... Those discipleship classes, they attracted, they attracted these older men and, and older ladies that would come in and come alongside of these younger men and women. 
And we were working with guys that were caught up in the drug culture. Their marriages were falling apart. And it was amazing to see what happened as not only did we teach them the basic doctrines and truths from Scripture, but we also sought to model Christianity before them. That we were there to give them advice, to help to be marriage mentors in their life. And what happened was incredible. Now, throughout this process, I had two of those young men go to jail because it finally caught up with them, and it was things that had happened in the past, and it finally caught up with them. But, you know, God allowed them to be released, and they, they paid whatever price they needed to pay. One of them is now involved in helping other addicted peoples in a ministry and his families together. As I look at that testimony, that testimony reveals that discipleship is essential. If the church drops the ball on anything, it's probably discipleship. But discipleship is not just something we do here in our church. It is something that we do across the globe. He says that we make disciples of all nations. So how do we do this? He gives us these three participles. And the first one is this. We must go. We are called to invade our world through the mission. Now, some translators will say, as you go, witness. And I think that's true. But I think it's more important for us to see the urgency of the, the imperative making disciples and how the participle, it, it, it is really sharing with us how we are to make disciples that we go. It's not just as you go. There's an intentional going. That means you take personal ownership in the Great Commission. What's going to happen as time goes by, God's going to give you an opportunity to know about mission trips that are going to happen in the future. And as that happens, there's going to be some relationships that are going to be built with missionaries. And what's going to happen is they will become your missionaries. And when they become your missionaries, that means that you begin to pray for them and you begin to send them cards at Christmas and birthdays. You begin to bring them to your church and let them share life with them. And what you're doing is empowering them so that they can go. And then when you go on those trips, you're going with them and helping them. You're not the expert. They're the expert, and you help them to fulfill the mission that God has laid on their heart. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 47, Jesus says, Thus it is written, thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. See, God's passion was that the nations would hear the gospel. Do you know how God dispersed the church in Jerusalem? He brought persecution. You remember the story in the book of Acts. Saul comes along and there's persecution throughout the Jerusalem church. People are being jailed, even killed because of their faith. And after the killing of Stephen, the murder of Stephen, the terroristic murder of Stephen by Saul and those who were around them that stoned him to death, I want to tell you, the church got dispersed. You know, sometimes I think God brings things into our into our churches, into our nations to help, into our nation to help us to see that what we've been focusing on is not as important to God as the Great Commission. I'm going to have to find this. It's on my phone. My wife's got my phone. I think she likes to have my phone, especially when I want, she needs me to pay attention to her. But I was reading something that David Jeremiah said. 
And he was talking about the plagues of Egypt, that God had taken everything away from them that they worshipped. And you may have heard this. This is what he said. And this is about the pandemic. God says, you want to worship athletes? I'll shut down the stadiums and the arenas. Now they're popping back up, but you can't go to it. God says, you want to worship musicians? I'll shut down every venue. God says, you want to worship actors? I'll shut down the theaters. God says, you want to worship money? I'll shut down the economy and collapse the stock market. God says, you want to worship your own bodies? I'll close down the gyms. God says, you want to place your trust in your friends and not in me? I'll ensure you can't even meet with them physically. God says, if you don't want to seek my face and worship me, I will make it so you can't go to church. See, I, I have been talking to pastors, and here's the big feeling that I get that they share with me. God has allowed this to happen, amen? He's allowed it. Say, did he cause it? I ain't going to get in that debate. But he has allowed it. And through this, the question is, is God using this to bring revival in the church, especially revival when it comes to the Great Commission? And I am convinced that it is. Coming up at the first week of, full week of August, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board is calling together pastors and churches to fast and pray for our nation and for the mission that is going forth across the world. And so I want you to understand that God has gotten our attention and God has called us to go. So when we don't do the Great Commission, it becomes the Great Omission. And it is something that God cannot tolerate. He needs the church to go. Just as the Jerusalem church suffered persecution to get it beyond its city to go forward, he will use anything to get the church into the world to share the gospel. Secondly is baptized. We are called to impact the lost through the gospel. We know that baptism doesn't save us, but we do know that baptism is our profession of faith in Christ. I challenge you to go through the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, and find one person who was not baptized after their salvation. Now, you may be here today and you say, you know, I got saved, but I've never gotten baptized. You say, am I living in disobedience to God? Yes, you are. But guess what? You don't have to anymore. You say, we can't baptize right now. That may be true. But you need to make it your effort to be baptized, not to be saved, but to live in alignment with God's purposes for your life. He says here that, that we are to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word name is in the singular, talking about the oneness of God, the fact that God is one God. And then he says of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, talking about three persons in one God. This is the display of the Trinity. This teaches the Trinity. And you say, what's going on here? Why is it in all three persons that were baptized if you think about it, God the Father planned our salvation from eternity. Jesus fulfilled the plan on the cross, and the Holy Spirit applies it when we are born again. And so the Trinity has been involved, and that's why we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you say you're doing missions, but you're not doing evangelism where people are saved and then baptized, you're not doing missions. You're doing compassion but you're not doing missions. Even the miracles and the healings in the New Testament, the whole 
the, the whole purpose behind it was to throw the spotlight on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we get wrapped up in missions that's more about compassion than it is about sharing the gospel. We need both. But the gospel must take first importance. Number three is teach. We are called to instruct the saved through the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The reason Scripture is profitable, he says, first of all, is for teaching and for, for reproof. What that means is, that is talking about doctrine. We need to know doctrine from the Word of God. But then he talks about the fact that it is for correction and training in righteousness. That talks about how we behave. So our beliefs always precedes our behaviors. And that's why the mission starts with worship before we can even do missions. Because we must have a high view of God before we have an accurate view of the world and its need for the gospel. See, when a person is reached with the gospel, we must not leave them in spiritual infancy. That's why disciple-making is so critical. Making a disciple is the intentional investment into new believers, teaching them what to believe and how the gospel is fleshed out in their lives. It is a painstaking process. It is a sacrificial process to disciple other people. But that's what the Great Commission is all about. That is the last thing he told us to do. We need to learn what Paul did in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. It says, what you heard from me. I want you to count generations here. What you, Timothy, have heard from me. That's two generations. Paul, Timothy. In the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. That's the third generation. Who will be able to teach others also, which is the fourth generation. And see, so we see discipleship is not a one-generation situation. That means that I personally invest in someone else, and there's an expectation that they will invest in someone else, and there's an expectation that they will invest in someone else. So it is a multiplicative, multi-generational discipleship that the church is involved in. And it crosses not only generations, it crosses oceans. Number three, through the Great Commission, Jesus' authority is activated, Jesus' mandate is manifested, and Jesus' presence is promised. He says, lo, I go with you always, even to the end of the age. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Even before Jesus was born, he promised us his presence. And here we find that he says, Lo, I'll go, lo, you know, I'm going to be wherever you go from now on till I return and I establish the new heaven and new earth. He has promised his presence. But what happened several days later? He ascended to heaven. That's why Acts 1-8 is so precious when it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the end of the earth. So what is this promise? It's that God will send the, the presence of the Holy Spirit which represents the presence of Jesus Christ in the life of the believer. 
Why does God give us his power? Do you notice he doesn't say anything about doing miracles and speaking in tongues right here? He doesn't talk about how you have inner peace or how the church will grow. You know what he talks about? He says, we will be witnesses. I think we as churches and believers often feel like the church is the one who witnesses, not the individual believer. You know why, you know why baptisms are down and churches are shrinking? I believe, number one, is that individual Christians don't take personal responsibility for the souls of their neighbors by witnessing to them one-on-one. We'll say, we just need better invitations in the church service. Let me say something about that. Every church where I've seen people saved or, or people come forward in a church service is because God's people were witnessing to people in their community. That's why. There's no magic in it. It's just simply that you've been empowered to be witnesses in your Jerusalem and then you expand it to your Judea, Samaria, uttermost. What is that? The city of gray is your Jerusalem. Your, this region, this east central region, man, I want to tell you, that is your Judea. Your Samaria is the United States and the world is the world. And we are called to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it must begin in our Jerusalem. You say, how is the church going to be judged? By the way, we're not judged for our sin. Jesus' wrath, uh, God's wrath on Jesus took care of the sin debt that we have against God. Amen? We've been, amen? All right, y'all say amen every once in a while. I'm almost done, okay? You say, man, I hope he's done. That was my introduction. No, I'm just kidding. And I won't say the word finally. You know, pastors say that. And then they preach 10 more minutes. But I believe every church, every Christian, when we stand before God, there will be a loss of reward or a gain of reward. We see it in 1 Corinthians 3. And I think it's primarily based on what we do with the Great Commission. Because that was the heart of Paul. As you look through all of the as you look through all of his epistles, it's all about strengthening those churches so that they can go and reach their community and their world with the gospel. And so we will gain or lose based on on what we did with the Great Commission. As I said before, Jesus' last words must become the church's first priority. I've been to many funerals, and I hear people say, well, you know, when she got to heaven, God's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I've said that in funerals, but you've got to be real careful because you're not the one that says that God is. And God is not going to say, well done, unless you've done well in this life and doing well is fulfilling the great commission Steve Parr my dear friend said this when we stand before Jesus the last thing he told us will be the first thing he asked us about you remember the definition of the great commission it's Jesus' command to every believer to make disciples locally regionally nationally Internationally, by sharing the gospel through going, baptizing, and teaching God's word. So the question is, how, how much does the Great Commission move your heart individually? How much does it move it within your family? 
How much does it move it within your Sunday school class? You say, we can't meet as a Sunday school. You still can do mission endeavor. How is it affecting your church? You say, well, that's somebody else's job. Excuse me? When Jesus said go into all the world, he was, he was talking to every believer. Let me tell you something else. If you're not called to stay, you're called to go. You know what that means? When you become a born-again Christian, pack your bags because God's going to send you on the mission trip. And if he stops you, that's his business. But if he doesn't stop you, then you're called to go. So my question is, how are you going? Say, so how do you end this? Number one, if you've never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, you can put your trust in Jesus and you will enter into a position where you're in the Great Commission and God's going to do tremendous exploits through His authority and power in and through your life as you surrender to Him. But it begins by putting your trust in Jesus, repenting and putting your faith in what He did on the cross and how He rose from the grave for you. The second thing, if you're a Christian here, you're called to be engaged in the Great Commission. And it may be you want to come to this altar and say, God, I pray for myself. You show me what you want me to do in the Great Commission. It may be that you want to pray for your church, your Sunday school class, your family. It may be that God has laid on your heart a missionary that you've been praying for. You just come down here and you recommit to praying for that missionary. God's not called us to sit on the sidelines. Don't let this coronavirus make your faith wither. Allow God to let it flourish because you are burning with a passion to see the world come to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you so thankful that you're a God who calls us, empowers us to do the work and Lord, it scares us a little bit. But Lord, you know that if you call us to do something, that call is always going to be met with joy. Every time I've gone on a mission trip, there's some apprehension. But then when I go and I see the work and I see God you using me and the team to do things that couldn't be done unless we were there. And they're kingdom things, things that will last for eternity. Lord... It is then that I have the confirmation that, God, you put me in the center of your will and you're using me. Lord, every person in this room can have that same joy. It doesn't matter if they're a child or a student or a young married or meeting an adult or senior adult. It doesn't matter. Every one of us need to be engaged on some level with the Great Commission. And so, Lord, I pray that you would call out the call, that you would work in the hearts. There may even be someone here today, you've been, you've been speaking to them about becoming a missionary or being called in the ministry. Lord, today, I pray that you speak in the hearts. That we wouldn't, if we were to sing today, I surrender all, it wouldn't be I surrender some. It would be I surrender all. And so, Lord, touch our hearts. Draw us. Help us to be obedient to what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, and as the band is playing and sharing in song, Austin and I will be down here. If you need to come and pray with us, we'd love to pray with you. You know, you're not obligated to go to the mission field just because you come to this altar and pray. The issue is, 
Are you willing to go? You say, I'm not willing to go, then pray that God would make you willing. Would you respond as we sing together? Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.